reading from the third chapter of Philippians, beginning with verse 17. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears, their end is destruction. Their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of His glory by the power that enables Him to make all things subject to Himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. The Word of God for us. The people of God. Thanks be to God. I feel like I'm on regret asking you this. Because there are some sermon illustrations that are just dangerous. Like a guy I knew went to the Board of Ordain Ministry and he got, he got tagged for using Ricky Bobby as a sermon illustration. But do y'all remember the movie Animal House? It's okay to admit it. It was funny. It was funny. Do you remember the, the character named Flounder who just couldn't get anything right? Big guy, dumb as dirt. <laughs> remember that moment when the dean looked at him and said, Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You remember that? He was right, wasn't he? Sometimes I feel like that's an insult to me. <laughs> but what he was saying to Flounder is that's no way to live. That there's something bigger, some better purpose for you, some greater hope. There's something better that you could be. That's no way to live. You know, if somebody says to you that's no way to live, they've observed something that's going on with you that they think is holding you back, holding you down, maybe keeping you in a spirit of oppression, as some people would say, that you're just not living free. Like that song that says, dance like nobody's looking. I don't dance when nobody's looking anyway, but... That kind of stuff is out there. People observe sometimes that we're not quite being fully alive. With regard to being an enemy of the cross of Christ, Paul would say to us, that's no way to live. It's the way of death. It's not the way to a free life. It's not the way to hope. It's not the way to anything but oppression. And ironically, Paul wrote those words to us while he was in prison 
for preaching the cross of Christ. A person who is imprisoned says that it has been a good thing to be imprisoned because it has actually helped to spread the gospel. That is profound to me. His situation seems like death, but as a friend of the cross rather than an enemy of the cross, even the prison cell became a place of life. An imprisoned man, one we might think who needs encouragement, writes encouragement to those who are not imprisoned. He's a man fully alive, a man following Christ, a man who has come to regard everything as rubbish, as trash, compared to knowing and loving Jesus. This man knows what it truly is to live, and he's warning us of those who live as they say, as enemies of the cross of Christ. I think it's pretty plain from Paul's words that an enemy of the cross of Christ is not something that we should want to be. Do you agree with that? It sounded plain to me. He said he writes it even with tears to give emphasis to it, that there are those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul adds for emphasis that they are bound to destruction. That their God is their belly. That their desires are the thing that they serve. Martin Luther said that without Christ, human beings are curved in on ourselves that we're navel gazers. That our God is our belly. The things that we want. That our glory is in our shame. That's what we see happening in our newscast right now in Ukraine, dear ones. People living as if their desires are all that matter. Not the life of others. Sin and our fallen human nature bend us in on ourselves. So our habit is to only think about ourselves and make sure that our needs are taken care of. To get what we want, to make sure that everything we think should happen, happens. Even if we know we're wrong. Rather than being predisposed to look to others, we look to ourselves. Paul is calling us to do something radically different. To look upon the cross instead. And see in the cross our hope. Not something foolish, not something to be scorned, but something to be the basis of our life. He invites us to ponder Christ's suffering even in ourselves. And to remember that our suffering, our suffering body of humiliation, is joined to Him and that so we will be transformed and conformed at some point to the glorious body of Jesus. What is it that Paul is encouraging us to do? What response is he hoping for? I think that living as something other than an enemy of the cross is a solid answer. But we might have to wonder what that looks like. We could borrow from earlier words in this letter when Paul says he's encouraging us to consider our own lives in the shadow of the cross 
and seek the full meaning of Jesus' death as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We might answer that He is encouraging us to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, as He said, which probably requires consideration of the cross, consideration of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We could answer that He's encouraging us to lay aside our dependence on our own righteousness that comes from keeping the law. Shorthand for that is the Ten Commandments. And instead, He would encourage us to live in the righteousness that comes from faith in Christ. I think these are all really good answers of what it looks like to not live as an enemy of the cross of Christ. And so I simply want to tell you today that living as an enemy of the cross is no way to live. And sometimes we do that not intending to. And Paul would echo that sentiment by saying, imitate me and observe those who live in accordance to the way we have lived before you. Live as friends of the cross, as witnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus, even if doing so gets you thrown into prison or makes your friends say you're a lunatic. We learn to live as friends of the cross by watching others. It's not something we can learn in and of ourselves all our own. Otherwise, God would not gather us together like this. We'd all be living off in some little hermitage somewhere, just reading our Bibles by ourselves. But instead, Christ is creating a community of people who live together and make disciples together and show one another the hope that we have by how we speak and love. That's why it's so important that we respond to the opportunities we have to teach our young ones the faith. They do not get it by osmosis. Christianity is not passed on through birth. Your faith will not just miraculously appear in your children and grandchildren. I am not a Christian because my mama was a Christian. Our young ones need for us to step in and teach and there are opportunities right here, right now, as we're coming out of COVID. The Children in Action group has had as many as 21 kids in it lately. Wow, that's fabulous. Something worth your time. Vacation Bible School is coming. A chance for you to sit with young ones and tell them that you love Jesus. Dear ones, if they hear that you love Jesus and that you're serving Jesus in your life, it makes it possible in their minds that they could do the same. What an opportunity you have to be a friend of the cross and serve the living God in that way. The same is true for the children's church program that's wanted to be started back. It is an opportunity to share your faith, but none of these things will happen without you. That's why Christ calls us together and forms us into a body. Not to watch others serve, but so that we all might serve. To look upon the, Christ, the cross of Christ as our own calling, to take up our own cross, 
and be inconvenienced for the kingdom of God. It's not popular these days. It's easier to make a lot of money preaching if you tell people that there's no inconvenience in Christianity that you won't be called to give anything or serve, that you'll only get blessing upon blessing, big giant house, big car. But some of us will be called to suffering. Some of us will be called to inconvenience. Some of us will be called to give of ourselves and give and give and give. Some of you have given and given and given now. Some of you have taught Sunday school without a break for 500 years. But all of these things matter. They don't happen on their own. My faith was formed in the children's and youth groups of the congregation that I grew up in. Without that, I would never have been able to hear my calling as anything other than a threat. Without that, I wouldn't be here. Who of us will live as a friend of the cross by being inconvenienced for the sake of teaching the faith? We learn to follow Jesus as we imitate those who follow Jesus. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't say, imitate me. In his first letter to the Corinthians, he's told people to to remember that the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. Before we come to know our own sinfulness, before we respond to the grace of God who reaches out to us to convince us of our need for Christ, the cross can only be foolishness. And the invitation to give of ourselves for the world's sake is foolishness. To the world we are fools because we think we can somehow be saved by a person who died a shameful death on a tree. A person who seemed to be unable and unwilling to save himself. A person who became accursed according to the law. And it sounds like a fairy tale to them. But once we come into contact with the love of God that is visible and the giving of God's only Son and visible as you give of yourselves for the sake of teaching that to others. Once we allow that, to sink into our consciences as a sign of God's love for us and we plead for the mercy of Christ who has died and been raised. Once we do that, dear ones, once we have that experience of realizing that this is not foolishness, but that it is indeed the only way to live, once we come to that place, the message of the cross becomes not foolishness, but power. Not only power, but hope. The power that gives new life. Paul says there are those who live as the enemies of the Christ-giving cross of Christ. He means those who would tell us that we must keep the law to save ourselves. 
That we must keep the Ten Commandments in perfect order, in perfect supply, if we would be saved from sin and death. Something that we all know is impossible. The message of the cross is different from that. In chapter 2 of this same letter, Paul writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The cross us because it calls us out of our prideful sense of self-worth, our prideful rebellion to repentance from our own sinfulness, our prideful rebellion and unwillingness to admit our need for reconciliation. The cross offends us because it shows us the absurdity of our sin. Because it calls us into joyful obedience. And obedience requires that we not be first. And obedience, dear ones, is inconvenient. The cross offends because it looks like weakness. It offends because it draws us out of our idleness. The cross offends because it tells us that the church is not something for us to consume, but a place for us to serve. That we are not here to be entertained, but to give our lives for others. John Piper said about the cross. God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He quotes Romans 5.8 there. And he goes on, to hate the cross is to hate the greatest display of God's love that ever was or ever will be. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Dear ones, when we allow ourselves to be inconvenienced for the sake of the kingdom of God, we enter into being able to see the cross as that sign of God's love. Without that, it just becomes something that was done only for me. If I refuse to share in the work of making disciples, I refuse the power of the cross. How could I not want to share this great and wonderful sign of God's love with other human beings? think, I hope, 
that it's plain that being that kind of enemy of the cross is not something we should want to be. But we do it in subtle ways. When we sometimes think that we have to earn God's favor by living exactly right. I imagine that some of you have had that experience. We're in a failure of your moral compass. In some moment that you don't even know how you got there, you found yourself in sin and you wondered how God could love you. Sometimes we do it when we stand at a graveside and speak of someone as a good person, meaning a person who kept the commandments, and declare that surely they've earned the reward of heaven. We say, I know where he is today implying that the person's salvation was a result of their good works and not of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then sometimes we put that burden on others when we say to them something that teaches them that if they have more checks in the good column when they die than the bad column, they'll make it into heaven. When all I really need is the cross. All I really need is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because God knew that I was absurdly sinful when He died for me. We make ourselves enemies of the cross when we think it's up to us to get everything done correctly in the world. when we think that we have to build the kingdom of Christ without help, when we think that somehow we have to live our lives perfectly to be accepted by God, we deny the power of what God has done and this great and wonderful reminder we have that God has accepted and loved us already. All of these things bring the cross to naught they suggest that it doesn't matter. But dear ones, if we can attain to the resurrection of the dead, as Paul says, by our own conduct, then we don't need a Savior. And to say otherwise is to be an enemy of the cross. I'm glad to know that God already knew that I was sinful and unworthy and yet God showed God's love to me by giving God's own self for me. Are you glad to know that God loves you that much? Do you not want to share that with others? Do you not want that word to be on your lips? Do you not want your life to have the shape of the cross in the world so that someone might be dumbstruck by the thought that God would love them? Rather than require that we earn God's love, God demonstrated God's love for us that God had for us from the beginning of creation. 
And God simply calls us to respond in faith, to believe and trust that the cross is truth and not foolishness. So Paul is writing against those who would tell the church that you must keep the law of Moses perfect in every shape, tittle, and function of the letters, or you shall not receive the salvation of God. He tells us instead that salvation is a gift by grace through faith, not by our own efforts, so that we would not boast. And don't you know that we would boast? We accomplish the simple of tasks. People make a sandwich and they post that joker on Facebook so y'all can like it and make them feel good about all that they've accomplished. Don't you know that if we could accomplish salvation on our own, we would put a crown on and want to be celebrated every day? That, dear one, is foolishness. But the message of the cross is that we are day by day called to die to ourselves and be raised in Christ, to be held before the world as an example of the almighty power of God who can save a wretch like me. Huh? Not that I can somehow be good and get into heaven. That's just the Santa Claus myth wrapped all up again trying to make our children behave every year. Expecting salvation from our own goodness and righteousness is to deny the power of the cross as God's eternal sign of love. When we deny that, we are enemies of the cross. I can't speak for you, but I can tell you that I want to fall more deeply in love with Jesus because of the cross, not in spite of it. I want more and more of Christ because He died a shameful death for me. I want more and more to give myself to Him in thanks and love. And so, in my own self, I hear Paul's call to imitate Him and to serve Christ no matter what the cross And I hear in my heart a yes. That is what I want. I hope the same is true for you. I hope that you look at that idea and you say, that, that, that's the way to live. Because being an enemy of the cross of Christ, dear ones, is no way to live. It's no way to go through life. It is the way to death. And so Paul would encourage us together to press on in faith, not being ashamed of the cross, but rejoicing in it. Rejoicing that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Refusing to treat Him as a pariah, but bearing the cross of Christ with hope and love. To imitate those who have gone before us. 
and embracing the crucified and risen Savior and saying, My Lord and my God. I speak these words to you, dear ones, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.